I'm Tim Kittrow, and you're tuned in to the Important Nonsense Podcast with Steve Bonham. Attention, Alan Hearn's mom. His knee is better. <laughs> you can stop worrying. Neil Smith. Even with the concussion, as long as he's cleared, probably don't have a better option. Jack Kavanaugh. Raheem Mostair, as I would like to call him. And Jason Draven. Nah, man. Just let's watch some football. Boom shakalaka. All right, welcome in, everybody. It's the Important Nonsense Podcast. I am your host, Steve Bonham, joined, as always, by Mr. Neil Smith. Neil, special time of the year. How you doing this evening? Never been happier to take an hour or two out of my life and just engage in some high-quality nonsense here. I think everybody could use a break, so looking forward to it. Well, it's our favorite time of the year because we are at the halfway point, which of course means we are joined by Mr. Jack Kavanaugh from the Friday and Sunday shows. Jack, how are you doing? Oh, fantastic. It is so good to be back with you guys. I miss you. It's just, you know, I don't feel complete when I'm not talking to you guys on a weekly basis, so it's just so good to be back. It's nice of you to butter us up before you just rip us apart. I appreciate that. That is, that is, of course. That's how how it rolls around here. He's Canadian. He's got to be polite on the front end, and then you get to know him. (laughs) Just like like politely cut you down. There you go. That's how they do it up there. Uh, We we lure you in with gave you a false sense of security. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, that's that's the bait. Uh, Jack's here for our halfway point of the year hot take time machine. I've seen people activate this machine a thousand times. That's why I built this time machine. McBoing, boing, glazing, fly the hidey guy. My time machine has worked. After evaluating millions of pieces of data in the blink of an eye, the Gambletron 2000 says the winner is Cincinnati by 200 points. Why, you worthless hunk of junk. Hot take time machine going through our hottest takes of the offseason. All right, and so we are back with the hot take time machine. And so going back through earlier conversations in the offseason, we were right about a lot of stuff, and that does feel really good. Unfortunately, though, we did take some major L's, and in this case, we are going to rip the Band-Aid off early. And the first Band-Aid we're going to rip off, Daniel Jones. Steve, you planted your flag. He was the hill you were willing to die on. QB 14 in the ECR, QB 15 in the ADP. He was QB 8 for Neil and QB 6 for Steve. What went wrong with Daniel Jones? Uh, Saquon Barkley is what I'm going to say went wrong with Daniel Jones. We talked about that a lot in the NFC East show, was the fact that Saquon Barkley, when he was healthy last year, Daniel Jones was QB 7. And that's kind of how I got to my conclusion that with Saquon, he was going to end up being a top 10 quarterback again. But with Saquon going down in week three, or it may have been week two, it's all a blur at this point, Jack. It is a long and painful blur. Uh, With him being out and that offensive line just being flat atrocious, yeah, Daniel Jones just has not looked great. I will say over the last three weeks, he has looked much better He seems to be getting that Jason Garrett offense. And again, we have to keep in mind, normally they have the preseason to work through these kinks. Normally they have an extended training camp and offseason. None of that was available to these guys. In my mind, this kind of hurts a lot of them, changing teams. Um, But yes, we're eight weeks through now. Daniel Jones has not been great. The first four weeks of the season were basically preseason for everybody. 
And now we're starting to get into the meat of what these guys actually are. I'm hoping he's closer to what he's been the last three weeks, but even then it's just been borderline top 12. I don't think he'll ever get to the top 10. I predicted him to this season, not without Saquon running the ball. What makes me laugh, Steve, is the, uh, one of the other knocks that we talked about, this feeds a lot into the historical DAC analysis that we've done, where you have an elite level running back, takes a lot of pressure off. He's going to have all his tools. He's going to have all the weapons. And we were concerned about the fumbling. Well, the fumbling's been better. The interceptions, though, ugh, ugh. <laughs> that is my one concern rolling forward here is just some of the decision making. We're not seeing, for me at least yet, the improvement in the decision making. Just referencing last yeah. week's game by itself. Throw the ball away. Throw well, it was, away. That's what I was going to say, too, is like not only the uh, the interceptions, but also the taking sacks he doesn't need to take. Like getting out of the pocket, being able to legally throw it away without it being grounding, and then taking a sack for no reason. Like Why are you taking a sack there? I understand the line is bad, but when he actually does get a clean pass off, too, the amount of drops by the Giants. Ugh. He's not getting bailed out by his skill guys, either. Oh, what, you don't think Evan Ingram has been helping him out this season, Listen, Steve? Not <laughs> if we want to talk about Evan Ingram, put that in the win column. If we're going to mention Evan Ingram, like, give us a W oh. if we're going to bring that up. Oh, yes. it. Yeah, God, we were so right on Evan Ingram. It's painful. I can't believe Jason had him in the top three. It looks like we were right on Darius Slayton. I do think we we're going to miss his overall projections that we had. We were a bit high on him, but I think we were still right on the player in, itself. You know what I mean? Yeah, Darius Slayton is supremely talented. Mm. I mean, what are we going to yeah, tell from, you? From like, pure talent standpoint. Guys, a stud. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. But I mean, even then, at this point, I'm pretty sure. Uh, I'm going to double check real quick, but I'm pretty sure. Like, we had him at 30, I think. You could verify. I'm, I'm sure you have all that information. What did we have Darius Slayton at in the preseason? I'm actually not sure what you had Slayton at. I didn't have that have that one written down. It was like, like we I know, had, had I know them all ranked take, together. Yeah, I know my take was that Darius Slayton was a mid-wide receiver three, but I thought that if Daniel Jones had the season I thought he could, that Slayton would be top 20. Uh, off the top of my head, I'm pretty sure I had Slayton about 30 or 31, somewhere in there, and right now in PPR, he is wide receiver 27. Gotta love that for Slayton. Gotta love as well. We were all kind of on the opinion that Josh Allen was going too high, and admittedly, that's a why we did like guys like Daniel Jones. He was one of those guys we thought we could grab late. Shout out to Teddy Bridgewater, who has panned out better to this point. Not great still, but anyways, Josh Allen, QB7 at the time. Steve, you were of the theory that QB7 was his absolute ceiling, and you were going to be paying sticker price if you were drafting him there. And you might have looked a little bit wrong at first. It looked like Allen was going to be a top QB, and he has come crashing back to earth as of late. Yeah, I need that uh, that gif of the kid after the high school football game. Like, I'm not going to lie, they had us in the first half. That's that's what I need because that was Josh Allen. I was like, all right, this doesn't look great. It doesn't seem like he could possibly tank enough to fall outside of the top 10. But since week four, Josh Allen has been QB 11. It has not been pretty after he had those three amazing weeks to start the year. And even then, week four was a decent week for him. So if you look at just the first four weeks, uh, he was a top five quarterback. But in the four games since then, uh, yes, 
his worst game of the season to that point up until week four was the 25 points he had in week four. So at least 25 points in each of the first four games. Top three QB, extremely impressive. He has not reached 20 points since then. He has been QB 14 over the last four weeks, and it has steadily gone down. 18.3, 16.1, 16.4, 13.5. He's getting worse and worse and worse as the season goes on. He was propped up by the rushing, and I said in the preseason, as did Neil, if he's going to run less, then you're assuming that for him to hit his top six, seven projection like everybody had, that he would have to then get significantly better in the passing game. And while he beat up on the Rams, the Dolphins, the Jets, and the Raiders in the first four weeks, when he's played decent defenses in the second half of this beginning of the year, he has not looked good. Even against the Jets, who he torched at the beginning of the year, they figured it out the second time around. Well, and you had a great stat too during the offseason that Josh Allen, on five of his rushing touchdowns, five of them, they tried to give the ball to Frank Gore on the play before, and he failed to get into yeah, the end at zone. the one, yeah. Now we have Zach Moss, who's capable of scoring not from the one. He can score from outside in 10 yards from and longer. So now Josh Allen isn't even getting those rushing touchdown opportunities. Zach Moss looks like he may have stolen that, and it looks like we may not have that much upside on Josh Allen anymore. We might be done. They do play the Seahawks. That is the one saving grace this I week. was going to say, that, that'll help. But if, if you go back to, to what I've been saying for the last few weeks in the trade column, through the first four weeks, he was, at a, he was operating at a 71% accuracy clip. And my whole argument has been, that's impossible for him to sustain that. It's never going to be that good. These matchups get way harder after week nine, Seahawks notwithstanding. And that's still yet to, that's still to come right now. I look like a genius. I had him at QB 13. He's hovering right in that area for the season. But by the time we get to where it's all said and done, Steve may actually be the genius and he ends up at QB, you know, below 15. And I've been saying for the longest time, you sell, sell, sell. And to everyone I've been talking to who actually did it, I'm getting a lot of, I'm getting a lot of high fives in the background. A lot of people who are like, thank you for bringing this to my attention because we were going to ride it out and no, you didn't want to ride it out. And now, unfortunately, yeah. it's probably too late. The yeah, blooms the, off the rose. The you had to make that was, decision a few weeks ago. We talked about the fact that the beginning of the year was definitely passing the ball better. You can't deny that. But he was a top three QB and he had in those four games, three rushing touchdowns. He was still ending up in the end zone running the ball which was helping his numbers over the last four weeks. He just has the one rushing touchdown. And in fact, that's the only thing that saved him in new England because without that, he would have had a seven this past weekend. So he has been terrible the last month of the season. And yeah, it, again, he is completely rushing touchdown dependent to be reliable on a weekend and week out basis. It's really funny when you look back in time, because for some reason, Deshaun Watson was the QB seven, only one slot ahead of Josh Allen. And at the time he was oscillating kind of back and forth with Allen Two were generally considered to be the same by most of the industry. Deshaun Watson was your QB two, Steve. Allen is currently the QB six, five, if you don't count Dak and in points per game, Watson one slot behind him. Watson has kind of had the opposite arc of Josh Allen to this point, QB 12 to QB 21 and QB 17. And then now over the last three games, he's been QB6, QB1, and QB9. 
So the rest of the way, are you confident that Deshaun Watson is going to continue to smash Josh Allen or are we going to see a flip? No, I'm confident in that. And it's actually pretty funny because um, what we talked about in the offseason with the Texans offense in general was the fact that, oh, they brought in Brandon Cooks to essentially replace Will Fuller. They want Brandon Cooks to be their deep downfield threat and they want Will Fuller to be more of the possession guy slash we don't need you, we're willing to get rid of you. And they're going to run the offense through the outside with Brandon Cooks and David Johnson. And they didn't do that the first three, four weeks of the season for whatever reason. Then they fire Bill O'Brien, and all of a sudden, the last three weeks, that's exactly the offense they've been running. The offense we thought that they'd be running this whole time is feed the ball, to Brandon Cooks, give the ball to David Johnson in high-pressure situations to ease the pressure off Deshaun behind the line of scrimmage, and he has thrived because of it. That defense is not good. We knew that all along. They were going to be playing from behind and throwing the ball a bunch. So yeah, Deshaun, since they got rid of Bill O'Brien, has played exactly like we thought they would from the get-go, and it, they just needed to make that that coaching change, I guess, sooner rather than later. It's truly amazing how much of a difference that coaching can make in the NFL. You get Josh Allen, who is elevated by his coaching staff the first couple games of the season, now coming crashing down, whereas Deshaun Watson, complete opposite, held back by his coaching staff for the start, and now the talent is about to shine. Moving on to our next quarterback. According to Neil, the ECR had jumped the shark happy day style and was on its way to jumping a totally different shark than the aforementioned shark. You had said multiple times that Kyler Murray had a Josh Allen rushing season, then maybe it was going to happen. ECR had him at QB5. The site had him at QB6. Both of you had him at QB9. We said the only way it was going to happen, though, for him was to be Josh Allen, elite touchdown scorer on the ground. Steve said he's not a top five guy, but if he can't top five rushing scores, and ah, he's being ridiculous, and I don't think any of us saw this coming, just like we didn't see this early connection with Hawkins being a, a factor this early. So far, I'm looking like a complete and total, you know, moron, frankly. <laughs> so I was not of the of the opinion as my colleague Steve that they they wouldn't be able to get Hopkins integrated. But what I was incorrect about is the the idea that he'd actually be able to have that sustained rushing, and he has to go with the the Hopkins thing. So this is one where I may have to eat some crow. I did have him at QB six, but I didn't think that he we would see him already out kicking some of these projections that we were kind of scoffing at in the preseason. So Kyler Murray may actually be one of those rare sophomore quarterback situations where the ECR had it cold and I may be eating some crow at the end of the season on this one. I'm, I'm, I'm man enough to admit when I'm wrong and I'll take my Mia culpa if I have to at the end of the year, but we're only halfway there, but so far it is trending. It is trending to where if you were willing to pay up to invest in uh to invest in Kyler Murray at the price tag that they were saying that you might actually be able to cash that ticket in at the end of the year. And I, I would have told you, you were insane. And I did in the preseason. And you were under quote saying that they're not just going to feed Hopkins. You had him as your wide receiver five. You won't force it at 2.60. That's what you were saying. And so my question is we were wrong on Kyler and Hopkins. What this point at this point, they've proven that it's not unsustainable. And we also kind of had the same opinion of Stephon Diggs with Josh Allen. We didn't think the connection could happen that early. With the lack of the offseason, the change of teams, we were just kind of fading these receivers in new situations. Did we overreact to the change of scenery in general? Or are DeAndre Hopkins and Stephon Diggs just 
the fantastically skilled exceptions and not the rule in this case. Uh, I would say there are more exceptions than the rule. Uh, I would also say I had DeAndre Hopkins at my five for wide receiver. So I was hesitant to actually pull the trigger on that, but I still had him ranked top five. And my uh, my exact feeling on Kyler was that, like you said, I, I wouldn't think he'd be top five because at that point you'd be saying he'd have to get over five rushing touchdowns. Now, if he got there, he'd be top five but I didn't think he'd get there because of Kenyon Drake. Well, Kenyon Drake has stunk out loud this year. He's been flat terrible. Whereas Kyler already, I said he couldn't get over five rushing touchdowns for the season. He already has seven. So that that is what is propping him up right now. And I think that continues because I don't see why they would change the offense at this point. So I think Kyler Murray's legit. I was wrong about his rushing touchdown production, but... Otherwise, I think our numbers and projections were right on there. As for Diggs, uh, Diggs is one that I would like to say I was super wrong about. And he's played really well, but this also goes back to the same thing with Josh Allen, where it was a hot start. And I was looking at this the other day when I was actually uh, doing the rankings for this week and for the site, was that Stefan Diggs for the season has played extremely well. But at the same time, based on his numbers and based on the fact that every week he's either in or right around the top 10 of the ECR, you would think that he's putting up monster numbers every week. But really, he's only been in the top 10 once, and that's when he finished second. Other than that, he hasn't finished above 14 in any week this year. And more recently, he's been finishing in the 20s as like a back-end wide receiver two or a high-end wide receiver three, which is where we had him. So I think he's coming back down to earth. I think teams are starting to pivot and figure out what the Bills are doing offensively, which is what's killing Josh Allen, and it's what's slowly killing the production from Stefan Diggs. And I agree. The, the, those are the exceptions to this rule, just because they're supremely talented athletes. They are, they're proving, it once again, to be a cut above a lot of their peers, just in terms of raw skill. doesn't matter what where I'm at, just point me at the direction I need to run and just put the ball up there and I'll go make a play for you. But, and I agree with everything you just said there about the big, the big issue with Kyler is who in their right mind thought he would get to seven rushing touchdowns in eight games played. I mean, <laughs> had we been able to actually project that appropriately, well, then he easily would have been a top five quarterback, but you can't really count on that given the one season we had seen him play. DeAndre Hopkins is a stud. He was also in the top five for me at wide receiver. And I wasn't hesitant about it at all. I actually own DeAndre Hopkins in just about every league I actually play in uh, for this reason, because some people got scared off and I did not. And Stefan Diggs is, to Steve's point, he is kind of the really hot start goes hand in hand with the Josh Allen hot start. Well, I'm going to hold off on any judgment about Stefan Diggs in terms of right or wrong for a little while here, because with the luck that we have, he's going to put up a 40. Uh, tomorrow or this weekend against Seattle and he'll go right back up. But Steve is correct when he says, when you break it down, he's propped up by one really huge game and the rest of it is kind of just ho-hum 14 to 25 type of performances. They all add up. So when you have the big game, that helps you. But as Josh Allen continues to struggle, you know, they say a rising tide lifts all boats. Well, that works in reverse. So the shrinking tide sinks all boats. So we may we may be running into a problem here with Diggs as we roll forward. A little too early to, to say the jury's done on that one. 
to be fair, a lot of our reasoning behind it was Odell Beckham, his massive flop when he switched teams last year. And there's a couple other examples throughout history with, with that. On the other side of things, though, we were way high on Marvin Jones and Larry Fitzgerald. Personally, I was drafting a ton of Marvin Jones. Larry Fitzgerald, we were getting way early. People had him ranked in the 80s. We were gobbling him up in the 60s. And then everyone, not just us, the industry, consensus, the website, he, he would not go earlier than 30, would not go later than 33. We players who may have needed that offseason to be at peak condition. I think it's entirely possible. The, the, the lack of offseason can work against you in that way, too. Or some of these guys who need, who need that time to round back into form and are just getting older in general and are now dealing with just the injuries that kind of come along with that in the case of Edelman. Uh, we may have been. We may have kind of uh, gotten a little too conservative with certain things because, again, the logic in the preseason for a lot of this was these are guys that aren't changing teams. They know the system and they're established in the system, they should be able to just kind of come in and produce and hold off some of these rookies that would be normally coming for their stuff. Well, in this case, one of the guys coming for Larry Fitzgerald's stuff is the aforementioned DeAndre Hopkins. He had he had no chance, given where they are in their respective careers, turns out. And the one that's the most vexing is Marvin Jones. The Edelman one is injury-related and quarterback play-related. The Marvin Jones one is quarterback play-related for sure and offense-related re- uh, competency for sure. But Marvin Jones himself has also not been good. And that's surprising given what we historically have seen from a player of his caliber. It looks like he might be slowing down and it's, uh, it's really depressing. Actually, that one, that one makes me sad. It does, but at least he had two touchdowns last week for yeah, I mean, like 30 yards. Yeah. Marvin Jones has not been good this year, but again, I would think a big part of that as well is my, my guy, fellow NIU graduate, Kenny Galladay. Oh, like what Kenny Galladay, the season he has had, he's underperformed and he's been hurt all year. So I think the fact that Marvin Jones is getting the number one cornerback coverage in a lot of these games is playing against him significantly, which if you're an elite wide receiver, that shouldn't be an issue. But no one has ever claimed that Marvin Jones is an elite wide receiver. He's a wide receiver, too, for a reason. So. I think that's played a, a large role in it, the fact that Kenny Galladay can't just stay on the field this season. Well, and when Danny Amendola now is the one drawing the other coverage, right. there's no you're, there's no focus on him at all. Anyways, we're going to move on to a break because we've got a fiery conversation coming up in just a moment. All right, and so we are back, and it is time. We have to recap the Clyde Edwards-Elaire nonsense that happened this offseason. We do... <laughs> we do like nonsense. Like nonsense is kind of on brand for us. However, this was just bad nonsense. This was not important nonsense. Clyde Edwards Elaire, before Damian Williams opted out, he was the RB14 in ECR. On our site, he was 18. Steve, you had him at 22. Neil, you had him at 25. Remember, this was before Damian Williams opted out. After Williams opted out, he moved to FFC's number five overall player. Not over not five running back five overall as a player. Steve, he was your RB17. Currently the RB10 in cumulative points. However, that's not accurate, especially with the buys. He's the RB19 in points per game among running backs that have played four games. So make, well, that way we get Mostair, we get Eckler and Chubb in there. Even if you want to remove those guys, he's still only the RB16. How wrong was the community on Clyde edwards And Is there any hope of a rebound now that Le'Veon Bell's there? Or is it completely the door is shut? 
Uh, no, we talked about this a few weeks ago. CEH for this year is dead. Like he he has a chance to to put up okay numbers and be back end running back two, maybe a flex on a weekly basis. It would depend on what they were going to do with Le'Veon Bell, right? We have seen through the first two games with Lev that they have basically had the exact same amount of snaps, exact same amount of carries. And this past week against the Jets, they had the same amount of targets. The more that Le'Veon Bell gets integrated into the offense, the more he is crushing and killing CEH. Uh, He was a top five back, number five, actually, in week six against Buffalo, the farewell tour, as we have dubbed it here at Important Nonsense. (laughs) Other than that, his highest finish of the season was 11 in week one. He's finished 11, 12, 26, 22, and 26 in PPR scoring. With Le'Veon Bell joining the team, he was 19 in their game against Denver. And again, that's what he was with sharing the snap count, but still leading it. And last week with the 50-50 split in snap count against the Jets in what is a premier must-start-your-running-backs matchup, he was running back 42. I think at this point, a game they were winning the whole time, that they just needed to run the clock out and control the ball. That's all they had to do, running back 42. I think there's no hope of CEH being a relevant running back the rest of this season unless an injury happens to Le'Veon Bell. Uh, you're, you're looking at CEH being at most a flex on a weekly basis, and we're going to end up being supremely right on this one. That's right. It also goes back to what we talked about in the preseason, which which I brought to your attention, and then we, you and I stepped through it with the guys. Those projections that the that the fantasy community from from everywhere, fantasy pros on down, those <clears throat> Chiefs projections are just wrong. There's no way that that yeah. was mathematically possible, and now it's playing out in real time. We would be right about T- T- Tyreek Hill, too, if he'd stop scoring yeah, a touchdown every week. That's annoying. We would actually be right about that, too, but he keeps scoring a touchdown every week, which is what it would have to be, and he just keeps doing it. It really winds me up. But, no, I agree with you. CEH is a flex rest of the way. And by the way, not a good flex either. Cause what you want out of your flex a lot of the time in a boomer bust situation is guys that can score touchdowns. CEH is not involved in the red zone. They tried that and it went so poorly that they went and signed Le'Veon Bell. He is not a factor. They were letting Daryl Williams handle their red zone looks in front of CEH. And the only reason he got the farewell tour was because everybody else was hurt. Daryl Williams was terrible. And it was a rainy day in Buffalo on a weird week where everybody got COVID in Buffalo. So the practices were all messed up and they just pounded the ball at the Bills down their throat. And that was, a, that's never going to happen again. That's, that was the one time for the season that you got it. And if you're still trying to hope that CEH is going to carry you to a fantasy title, you're going to be sad. Well, and even in that game, it comes out after the fact, Sean McDermott's like, yeah, our game plan was to let them run all over us because we wanted Matt Patrick Mahomes not to beat us. And the game plan worked, and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire didn't find the end zone. Joe Burrow threw 60 touchdowns at LSU. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire caught one of them. That's like, those numbers don't make sense. He hates the end zone so much. So we're going to move on from Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. We're going to talk about it. Before we move on from the Chiefs really quick, because Neil brought it up and it boils my blood. (laughs) It is. We have this conversation a lot, if you can't tell. This trying to save you from yourself, Steve. Okay? I cannot with this. Every week, every week we put in the rankings, and Tyree Kill is like number two or three in the ECR. 
I don't know what they're looking at. I don't know what these projections are possibly doing or thinking about. But again, if you remove the touchdowns scored in PPR scoring, Tyree Kill this year has been wide receiver 45, 23, 30, 45, 31, 63, and 42. Never in the top 20 without a touchdown. But no, number two locked in top five every single week. He is a touchdown-dependent back-end wide receiver, too. He's having a worse season than even I could have predicted, and that's saying a lot. So he is completely touchdown-dependent. I made the joke in the preseason that he is the wide receiver equivalent of Aaron Jones, and boy, has that panned out more than I ever could have possibly imagined. Oh, it's ridiculous. I feel like every week on the show, when we're recapping on the Sunday show, check that out and for at NW, the real NWB, me, Wallace, Bruce, and at Dr. Dynasty, or sorry, at Dynasty PhD, Dr. Dynasty, John Chancey on the Sunday recap show. Every week we talk about Tyreek Hill, how, and he was bailed out by a touchdown, had 30 yards. Great. Fantastic. Yep. Talk about another embattled rookie running back though. Cam Akers was the RB 29 in the ECR, 30 in the ADP. Steve Yadam RB32, Neil RB34. So we were a little bit lower than him, than him on him than consensus. However, Darrell Henderson was the RB48 in the ECR. We all loved that. We all were like, yeah, we'll have a lot of that because we had him right in line with Cam Akers. We had him in the mid to the high 30s, kind of th RB35, 38-ish range. And Neil, you're on record saying in the 10th round, I can have him. What a steal. Steve. You can have Darrell Henderson, who could be the starter, who at the very least for the first month is probably splitting carries with Akers in the same round as Chase Edmonds and two rounds later than Alexander Madison. What is happening? How did that work? I mean, it, it's, it played out exactly like we said. Like, Darrell Henderson was the incumbent. He was the one that already knew the offense. They already knew what they were going to get out of him. And it made zero sense whatsoever that with no offseason – the fantasy community just decided that Cam Akers was going to be the locked-in starter and was going to just get rid of Daryl Henderson, who was the second-round pick of the Rams just last year. It just it made no sense that they would just outright get rid of him and get rid of the job altogether and give it to Akers. That's why we had him neck-and-neck neck in the 30s. Uh, a lot of places I saw... I know that the ADP was 30, but a lot of places I saw Cam Akers was going in the back end of the uh, RB2 territory, like 24, 25. People were reaching to grab him to a, just assuming that he was just going to outright win the job and own it. And over the what last two, three weeks, like he's barely even getting on the field. He's hardly Correct. getting snaps, he's even barely. with everybody hurt. I mean, he he's only not got even rosterable on in redraft. Finally got on the field last week, had, I think, nine carries, and it was because Henderson had that quad injury, and that's well, the only reason. And we didn't even mention Malcolm Brown because the whole part, other part of the analysis was, no, you don't want to reach on Cam Ackers for all the reasons Steve mentioned, but in addition to that, there's three guys, not two. Malcolm Brown is still seeing meaningful snaps. Now, it's dropped off since the first three or four weeks of the season, and they have featured Henderson a little bit more, but... Malcolm Brown was the first man out there when Henderson went down twice this year with the same thigh injury, the first time when he suffered it and the second time last week when it flared up on him. Like it's there's not enough meat to actually sustain Cam Ackers to, even if they were even with all three of them playing, even when there's two they seem reluctant to give him the ball. So no, this 
this has turned into a uh, a situation where Cam Ackers is like Steve said, he's droppable in redraft at this point. So we're we're sad we're sad to see that. You hate to see it, but at the same time, this is what we like. We've been saying to people: shame on you for reaching on the rookie in a McVay offense when you, when we've been pounding the table telling you that this is going to be RBBC all the way they're they're done with this with the model of we're just going to have one guy we're gonna have todd Gurley do everything they got burnt by it and from now on i think he's going to run rbbc because he saw it working for shanahan and the nfl as i always point out is the most groupthink league of all the pro sports you see one thing one it works one place everybody else copycats Looking back at it, it's quite wild to think Henderson was going two rounds after Alexander Madison, who was just a handcuff. Henderson had the starting upside, and he was going in the same place as Chase Edmonds, and it looks like Edmonds at the time was just a handcuff. He might get the reins, and Kenyon Drake suffering a multi-week injury. Ugh, Kenyon Drake just, what, what could have been? What went wrong with him? Anyways, on our final topic, before we head to another break, Aaron Rodgers, QB9 in the ECR was way too high for you guys. QB 18 for Steve, QB 17 for Neil. He's currently the QB 8 in points per game with three finishes in the top five. Did we all undersell the Aaron Rodgers revenge narrative? Rodgers' middle finger tour 2020 continues to rock on. It is, it's pretty impressive to see how he's managing to kind of cobble this together with just, frankly, a lack of offensive weapons that aren't Devontae Adams. Aaron Jones has been hurt. Adams himself has been hurt. Uh, Alan Lazard has been hurt, and they just find, they, they're throwing it to Robert Tanyan. Like it's it, it, it's it's pretty impressive, but I, I'm not I'm not I'm not scared yet. I don't think he's going to get all the way to 17 where I had him. It's going to take quite the precipitous fall, and frankly, the schedule I don't think is hard enough to where that's going to happen. And he is getting some of those aforementioned hurt pieces back uh, as the season rolls on. Here, Lazard might even be playing as early as this weekend, so that'll help them. I don't know that he's ever going to get there. So yeah, I'd say we probably undersold the revenge narrative slightly, but if you're going to ask me where I actually think he's going to finish now, I don't think he's going to ride out at, at, in the top 10 at this point. I still think he's probably going to finish somewhere closer to like 12, 13. Very intriguing. He, he started out red hot, no doubt about that. But again, you have to keep in mind that it's the same thing that we talked about with Josh Allen, right? Like he, he destroyed Minnesota. Uh, he put up four touchdowns against them. He put up four touchdowns against Atlanta. He put up three touchdowns against New Orleans. Uh, over the last four weeks, that same stretch we talked about with with Josh Allen being the QB 14 in that same stretch of time, in points per game, Aaron Rodgers was QB 16. So, again, it's do I think that he's going to completely fall out of the top 10? No, I think he'll be right at the border of it, but do I buy that he's a locked-in top 10 must-start every week? No, I do not. It's all matchup dependent. He's a great streamer, uh, but I wasn't willing, especially because he was being drafted as a top five, top six guy again, which made literally no sense to me after what he's done the last two years. So, yeah, I, I, I may have been wrong about how far he's going to fall, but I still don't completely buy what he's done to this point. Yeah, so the thing with Aaron Rodgers is just, I don't know. And the worst part is he's going to be way overdrafted next year. That's going to be a massive problem. So we're going to get to a break and we'll be back right after this. Our friends at Monkey Knife Fight combine the fun and excitement of Vegas with DFS to make the ultimate daily fantasy prop game. 
That's right. And there are three ways for you to play. Stat Shootout, Rapid Fire, and more or less. In Stat Shootout, you put together a two or three player team that'll accumulate the most of whatever stat type you've chosen to play, like touchdowns, total yards, receptions, etc. Then you choose one of the three target goals for that stat. If your team exceeds the chosen goal, then you win. And the higher the target goal that you choose, the more you can win. So if I choose a three-man team for touchdowns, I can set the target at one and a half touchdowns to pay out one and a half times the entry fee, or I can go big with a target of three and a half touchdowns to pay out 15 times the entry. I mean, obviously you go big or you go home. Obviously. Then there's rapid fire, where you select your team by choosing the highest scoring player in multiple head-to-head matchups of statistical categories, like who has more receptions this week, Michael Thomas or Julio Jones? Each contest will tell you how many matchups you need to get right in order to win. But again, more risk, the higher the reward. Sure, I mean, I only need to get two out of three matchups right to win one and a half times my entry. But if I can get five out of five, I'm looking at that 15 times payout again. You can buy me a lot of John U. Smith jerseys with that money, Neil. You sure can. Finally, there's more or less. Just depending on the contest, you'll be giving two to six players and their statistic targets for the game, like Cam Newton with 233 and a half passing yards against Miami. You have to decide if that player will get more or less than that target. But just like the others, more or less increases the payout the more risk you take. However, it offers the highest return as well. So you can go two for two to get that basic one and a half times payout if that's what you want to play. But if you've got the nerve you can attempt to go six for six and hit the 30 times payout. So many Janu jerseys. Well, the only thing better than winning money from Monkey Knife Fight is getting money from Monkey Knife Fight for free. Oh, do love the free. Just go to Monkey Knife Fight to sign up for a free account. When you make your first deposit, use promo code NONSENSE. That's promo code NONSENSE. And Monkey Knife Fight will match your deposit up to $50. This is literally playing with house money, guys. So go to Monkey Knife Fight and use promo code NONSENSE, N-O-N-S-E-N-S-E, and get in on the action this weekend. And we are back. And so the Colts, what a mess of a team. The floor for T.Y. Hilton, according to Steve, was the wide receiver 25. Steve, you had him at the wide receiver 14. The floor to wide receiver 25. Neil, wide receiver 14. He's going as the wide receiver 20. Where is T.Y. Hilton now? 68, I want to say. Garbage pile. 70. Something like that. Um, Done. (laughs) Hurt now on top of already looking done and having no correction connection with uh, Philip Rivers. I think you your lead into it, Jack, was actually perfect uh, because Colts offense, right? Like we said, the offensive line, great, spectacular, top five, easily if not number one in the league. And now they add Philip Rivers to replace Jacoby Brissett, which is obviously an upgrade, right? So we were high on T.Y. Hilton. We were high on Michael Pittman compared to other places, especially in dynasty drafts. We were high on Jack Doyle in the top 10 for tight ends. Uh, We weren't high at all on Phil Rivers himself, having him right around like QB 20, but that his pieces would be able to do well. And then Jonathan Taylor, 
to do well. Through the first half of the year, T.Y. Hilton himself has not played very well. Phillip Rivers looks like he already retired last season and is already coaching high school football in Alabama. Like, he he has looked so egregiously bad in, to everyone whose name is not Trey Burton that it is just disgusting I want to talk how bad that. he has been. So, oh, it's terrible. I've got these all these former Chargers fans in my mentions too, telling me how great Philip Rivers has looked. And it's like, no, he's throwing over half of his pass attempts to non receivers. It's running backs and tight ends. Yeah, it's it's. Well, not listen good to who's talking to you though. Take you know, you kind of just told on it right there. You got Charger fans talking to you about how great Philip. These are not the people, Jack, that I'm going to for my quarterback and analytics. You know what I mean? They're going to have the rosiest of rose-colored spectacles about their former guy and also it's the Chargers. Shout out to Ed, shout out to the shout out to the nerd. <laughs> yeah, maybe again, maybe it's the nerd's burner accounts coming after. It probably is, but the Chargers are second to none in snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. How you yeah, how think, you managed to lose that game to the Broncos last week, I'll never know. I think we had Do you know offhand where we had Philip Rivers in the preseason, Jack? You may not. Because I know that wasn't the uh, focus of this, this conversation. It, it was, I think it was like 24 and 26. And I don't remember which was which. It was not, neither of you cared about him at all. You was, you weren't really even taking him in QB, two QB leagues. There was right, no right, appeal. Right now he's QB 27. Like ah, he's, he's yeah. even worse than we thought he would be. It's even worse of a situation, him throwing the football. So yes, like T.Y. Hilton being dead. Michael Pittman being a semi-bust at this point in Dynasty. Uh, even Jonathan Taylor not performing very well. Can you blame him? Can you? Re- it's not that Jonathan Taylor has played horrible. It's just if you're a defensive coordinator, are you really scared of Phillip Rivers throwing the ball? Are you really scared no. of what they're doing through the air offensively? Or are you just going to put eight men in the box? Yeah, you're terrified of Jonathan Taylor annihilating you. Yeah. That's what you're afraid yeah. of. Yeah. And so because of how awful Philip Rivers has been, Jack Doyle, we had him at tight end 60 for you in the preseason. Neil, tight end 10. We thought he was going to be great. And Neil, you specifically hated Trey Burton. You on are Still on true. the record saying, Still. if you think Trey Burton is going to be a real thing for the Colts, then I have a bridge in New York City that I will sell you because that's not going to happen, nor is Mo Cox. Trey Burton is not a thing. People on Twitter need to get off my lawn with Trey Burton. Yeah. For Neil Smith. Yeah. Yeah. Now they got a tent city set up on my lawn and they're burning me in effigy. It's not going great. (laughs) It's not going great. That one, that particular one. I was wrong about O'Ali Cox too for about two weeks there. And then he disappeared and then back, back to the shadows. Like it's fair. Be fair. I think it is because Philip Rivers is so washed and can only throw the ball six yards. I was just going to say, I think that really plays into it. Jack Doyle's been hurt and then has had to struggle to come back and then get integrated into the offense. He caught a touchdown last week, so you like to see that. But Trey Burton's getting rushing attempts in the red zone, and he's converting them for touchdowns. That is what is actually happening here that is making it so aggravating for my for myself to watch because Philip Rivers is washed and he's just throwing it to Trey Burton six plus times a game and then they get into the red zone and they're so depleted of anything with with Taylor being hurt they're so depleted of weapons in the red zone that they're giving it they're giving him carries on weird design plays and he's paying them off so if you in our defense that is insane what I will say that's insane first of all 
first of all, to come to Neil's aid, I said the exact same sentiment about Trey Burton and Mo Alley Cox. So I will gladly <laughs> stand with him as he dies on that hill. Um, to this point, all right, in PPR, Trey Burton in four healthy games played, which was another knock we had against him, was that can he even stay on the field? Has a four, an eight, a 22 because of a rushing touchdown and receiving touchdown in the same game. And then last week he had a 10 with another rushing touchdown. So again, outside of the gimmicky rushing touchdowns, he hasn't had more than like four to six points in a single game this season, he still hasn't eclipsed anywhere from six targets in a single game. He's not getting receptions or yardage. It's 100% touchdown dependent, and that's what you can say about all of tight end. On a weekly basis, if you can guess who scores the touchdown for tight ends, you win. You did it. You nailed it. You won tight end that week. What are there, three Otherwise, tight ends you actually like at this point as like TE ones? We're down to about three, I'd say. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's, I think it's Kelsey Waller and Andrews, and that's pretty much it. Everybody else is, can they score a touchdown? Nope, then they're garbage. You know who can score touchdowns? Darren Fells. So we're going to move on to the Texans where Brandon no, Cooks. Don't. don't even. <laughs> you didn't, don't want to talk about the Texans? Never. <laughs> well, Brandon well, Cooks was the wide receiver 36. Steve, he was your wide receiver 25. Neil, your wide receiver 32. And Will Fuller was a wide receiver 25. Everyone had him there. And having him that far ahead of Cooks was a big problem for you guys. It's kind of looking, though, like you may have been right. They were not that far off. It's the same thing, too. Like I mentioned, the, the home run hitting with Fuller. I'll give him this. First of all, he stayed healthy to this point through eight weeks, knock on wood, because it's Will Fuller. But for through eight weeks, he stayed healthier than he has his whole career. Also, the fact... That oh wait hold on I mentioned his name I have to oh my hamstring there you go <laughs> also <laughs> in addition to that he's been more consistent he's gotten more targets and and been more of the possession wide receiver that we thought he would be but again like I mentioned with Deshaun Watson Brandon Cooks was not at all involved in the offense nor was Randall Cobb two key pieces that Bill O'Brien went out and got in the offseason that we thought okay well he got him for a reason. He's going to focus in on these guys and use them and then didn't. And as soon as they fire O'Brien, both Cobb and Cooks have been right where we thought they would be. Brandon Cooks, since they fired Bill O'Brien, has been wide receiver 13. Whew. And that's in total points. And he's only played three games. So he's averaging 21.6 nice. points per game. So if you look at it on a points per game basis, he's actually wide receiver five. Behind only Devontae Adams, Julio Jones, DK Metcalf, and Tyler Lockett. That's it. That's the list. So they have been force-feeding the ball to Brandon Cooks since they got rid of Bill O'Brien. And Will Fuller has been more consistent than usual. But along those same lines, like we said, Randall Cobb has been right around uh, a wide receiver 20 since they got rid of O'Brien as well. He has also thrived with him not in the room. Oh, just Bill O'Brien, just absolutely terrible. Hashtag sad. So, yeah, so another receiver room that we did have pretty much in line with each other, ECR, wide receiver one, Deontay Johnson, ADP was 34. Stevie Adam at wide receiver 56. You had Claypool at 72. Too, and you kept saying there's not that much difference. And we couldn't stress it enough that the Steelers was going, were going to be a car wash at receiver. 
And what do you know? Here we are. Shocker. Well, again, the biggest thing too, I I got, I got a lot of heat for that as well. um, With the general ranking. And I tried to say in the preseason to anybody that, that wanted to talk about it was basically the fact that the, the rankings are not a projection. The rankings that we put out are not, this is where I think this guy is actually going to finish on the year. This is my confidence, especially when you get outside of the top 30 or 40, you're talking about how confident am I that this guy is going to finish ahead of some of the people that are being drafted behind him. And that's the case for a guy like Deontay Johnson, where the talent is there. He's, I mean, I believe he's still leading the team in targets and he's barely played. But the fact that he's barely played was one of the key reasons that I had him all the way down at wide receiver 56 was because of the fact that he may get targets when he's on the field, but how often will he be on the field? And he has not been. And because of that, it has been a car wash and Chase Claypool has broken out in his place, which you kept hammering home. So kudos to you, Steve. Great job on that. Yeah. Chase Claypool is one of my favorite guys to pick up in dynasty drafts and not not even I thought Chase Claypool would do what he's doing at this point. And I was one of his biggest fans. It was me and his mom just like high-fiving, <laughs> hanging out. But yeah, it's worked out pretty well. Uh, can't I got believe I got beat by you on the Canadian player. Like that, 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 that That's a mistake that I cannot yeah. live down. We're going to end the show on this. So far, I did look it up. Breaking news. We were wrong. And Evan Ingram has played every game this season. We're right, though, because he hasn't been that good in any game this season. Leads the NFL in drops. Who has been good, though, even if he hasn't played in every game this season? The man we mentioned seven times in the offseason and talked about who's a better pick than the player that we were talking about currently. We interrupted the show seven times to talk about Jonu Smith. Steve, when are we getting the Jonu Smith jerseys? I don't know. I'm hesitant right now. That's just... I'm scared. Read about the last couple of weeks. <laughs> so that that was the big thing too. So Janu is a guy that, first of all, you know I love Janu. I'm extremely excited for how the season started. But again, a lot of it was based off of touchdowns. He was getting the volume though. And people questioned, was this because A.J. Brown was hurt and he was just getting A.J. Brown's role in the offense? Well, in actuality, against Houston, he had two targets one catch for 13 yards, then he twisted his ankle with A.J. Brown healthy and playing. And then after he twisted his ankle and left the game, Anthony Ferkser, the backup tight end for Tennessee, had six targets. He had over 100 yards and a touchdown. Huge week. He was a big pickup on the waiver wire that week for no apparent reason. Like, I don't know why anybody thought that would be a good idea. But it still seemed like even with A.J. Brown in the offense, in the lineup, that whoever the starting tight end was for Tennessee was going to have value against Pittsburgh, which has been a tough matchup for tight ends this year. John who had four targets, but he only caught one for nine yards last week. Great matchup against Cincinnati, two targets, two catches for 29, only five fantasy points. Again, it's not that he hasn't played well or they're not utilizing him. I'm concerned that he was more hurt with the ankle injury. And the further we get away from it, the better he'll do. It's just a matter of, as I said, if you can guess right on the touchdowns for tight end, then you're going to win the week. And Janu Smith, to me, is, other than maybe A.J. Brown, is their best option in the red zone to score a touchdown. I think those are their two primary 
red zone guys. So it's a coin flip either way. I think on a weekly basis, I'm good with Janu. Rest of season for me, I still have Janu number four. I mean, I still have him right behind the big three, but I'm nervous about it. But that said, as we said before, outside of the top three, I'm nervous about all of them. It's tight end. It's, it's a crapshoot. Uh, it is just a crapshoot, and it, it always is, and it always will be. We're going to go out with this final quote. Send me the picture of your Ryan Tannehill and Jonu Smith stack, and then send me a picture <laughs> of your fantasy championship. It's from Steve. Tannehill was all the way down at QB 21 in the ADP. 21! 16 in the ECR was better. We had him at between the 15 and 17, 18-ish range. But wow, people hated Ryan Tannehill, and he's going to win us some championships. Should have planted our flag in Ryan Tannehill, Steve. It's a missed opportunity right, over Daniel Jones. Should have, should have. You guys did. You guys I mean, did. You just no, didn't talk about it enough. Talk about it say, enough. To be we fair, were, didn't talk yeah. about it enough though. We get, we gave too yeah. much hype, too much public hype to the Daniel Jones one. Right. Should have gone harder with the Ryan Tannehill. <laughs> it turns out. Yeah, halfway to, through the I mean, season. to be fair, I had Tannehill. I think at ten, right? And you were right there. Near I was either. I was somewhere between ten and twelve. Yeah. It was. It was right at right in there because we still I was had a him as a QB one. Yeah. And he was getting completely faded to back end QB two. And we we're like, what are you looking at? What are you Miami Dolphins tape? Yeah, you're you're Miami looking Dolphins at Adam Gase Dolphins tape and just putting that on Tannehill like it's his fault. <laughs> My eyes. Yeah. <laughs> Outside of how long is, yeah. is he gonna carry that stink? Right. Oh no, uh, I mean, Ryan Tannehill or Adam Gase? Because like Ryan Adam Tannehill, forever, hopefully yeah, Ryan Tannehill, Tannehill hopefully one more now. rest of the year, probably, and then next year will people will level set. But Adam Gase for eternity, I'd say, like on down. <sighs> Just Poor Ryan Tannehill. Anyways, that's going to do it from me and the Hot Take Time Machine. Thank you guys for allowing me to take you on this journey. It was an absolute pleasure. Oh, no. Thank you, Jack. Thank you. We, we truly appreciate it. Oh, love the round of applause. I feel so special. <laughs> <laughs> feel appreciated? Good. I'm glad. Oh, very much so. All right, uh, Jack, where can the people find you on social media? People can find me everywhere at Javna87. Thank you once again for listening to the Important Nonsense Podcast. Uh, Neil, where can the people shout at you if they want to, you know, send you some effigies or something? Feel free to send me your Trey Burton hate mail at nonsense underscore Neil on Twitter and the Fantasy Life app. And check out the trade columns written by myself and my colleague Wes Smith every week until the trade deadline. Got about two more weeks, folks. Get those trades together. Start thinking about your playoff rosters. We're here to help you if you need it. Uh, you can find me everywhere at nonsense underscore Steve. You can follow the site on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at nonsense FF. Make sure you're keeping up with all the content on importantnonsense.com. Give us that five star review wherever you listen. And until next week, make sure you keep up the nonsense. Music for this podcast is provided by Lee Rosevere. I'm Tim Kitzer from NBA Jam and NFL Blitz, and you can find all the guys at importantnonsense.com. Kaboom!